This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, everybody, it's Lon Seidman, and it's time for your weekly wrap-up. I am back from CES and back in the chair for the first time in a week here, so it's good to be uh, getting back into my normal routine. And I want to begin first by thanking our newest supporters on the channel. And we'll start off with the tip jar and super chat folks as we did a brief live stream from CES. Uh, Lawrence Anglin gave via the tip jar. Felipe Carmona gave via uh, super chat along with Jonas A and Zam. I want to thank all of you for the coffee fun while we were out at CES. You need a little bit of caffeine to keep yourself going there. So I want to thank you all for those uh, tips in the tip jar. And we also had some new members added to the mix and some that converted over from Patreon. And I haven't done this in a while, so we've got a bunch of names here. Matt Lawson, Matthew Canizio Jr., Doug Stewart, Raymond Virgil de Diaz, Jason Hunt, Jeffrey Carmichael. We also had Ralph Movia, Paul Taylor, Michael Moreau, Paul Amarok, Nate Oaken, and Brick. So I want to thank everyone uh, for their support of the channel, as well as everyone who watches on a regular basis, too, because all of those things equal channel growth. And speaking of growth, we have an, a sponsor this week, and that sponsor is Plex and their Plex Pass. We're going to be doing a, a new video about a really cool feature on Plex coming up in probably the next week or so. And if you aren't familiar with Plex, it is a great media serving application. You can basically replicate all of the things you might get from uh, Netflix or Amazon Video with the media that you own and control. So you can put it on a central server in your house, a NAS device or a computer, and then you can watch that content not only at home, but away from home as well. It automatically transcodes uh, large video files into smaller ones so you can watch it on the road. You can download stuff for offline viewing to your phone. You got great bookmarking, multi-user capability, uh, lots of cool stuff. And that's the free stuff. You have a bunch of other things that come in when you add the Plex Pass to the mix, including DVR capability that we've covered quite a bit here on the channel, Plex Cloud, which is a way to run your Plex server in the cloud. Uh, that mobile sync feature I mentioned, that one does require a uh, Plex Pass. Uh, you get free Plex apps on all major platforms and uh, early access to a whole bunch of new features and a lot more. You can get a Plex Pass at lon.tv slash Plex Pass, or you can gift one to a friend at lon.tv slash Plex Gift. And I want to thank Plex for their support of the channel. So let's move on to what has been posted on the channel since I left. On the Extras channel, we had uh, a preview of the new six-tuner HD Home Run Prime, as well as the unboxing of the Amplify Teleport I looked at the other day. On the main channel, before I left, we had a review of the LG X-Charge, which is a low-cost smartphone for three different carriers here in the United States being offered by Amazon. Uh, we also had a review of that Amplify Teleport, which is a hardware VPN that allows you to tunnel back to your home network securely just by plugging this thing into the wall. Pretty cool product. It's got a lot of potential, and it's very simple to get working, which is not always the case with other VPN solutions, at least for mainline consumers. And then from the CES side of things, we had five different pieces of content uploaded. We had, of course, my uh, usual dispatches, one, two, and three. We do try to find some of the stuff that the other channels aren't covering, so you can uh, check those out if you want. About an hour's worth of content there. 
Uh, we had a brief live stream that we did from a quiet section of the floor with my friend Goldie, who was helping me shoot all the video that you saw this week. Unfortunately, the uh, cell service wasn't as good as I thought it was. It kept dropping out, and every time somebody said it's working great, it would drop. So it's a little bit disjointed, but uh, we, I did answer a few viewer questions while I was out there. I'm going to try to plan better for live streams while I am out at CES next year. It's just very hard to predict what kind of connectivity you're going to have uh, with all those people there. And we also had our annual interview with our CES sponsor, Silicon Dust. And they, of course, are the makers of the HD home run system. They've sponsored us every year for our CES trips. And it's always good to catch up with the CEO and hear about what's coming up on the horizon. Uh, we talk about DRM, which is a very important topic for a number of us who are using the HD home run prime, as well as some of the other things coming up from the company. So you can check that out on the main channel or on my podcast feed. And I got a good comment about that video from uh, this person here, Super Android TV, and, uh, and the DRM issue. So in case you're not familiar with what's going on here, uh, some cable systems encrypt every channel that is on your cable subscription. So even though if you have an HD Home Run Prime TV tuner that uses the cable card, you're not able to watch all of the content that you're paying for because it is encrypted. And one of the things that uh, Silicon Dust is trying to do is get that DRM working with the HD Home Run Prime as well as their uh, live and DVR tuning software. That is not yet ready yet, uh, but they're getting there. Right now it does work on uh, Windows 10 and Xbox One for live TV viewing, but not for recording television. And uh, one of the uh, comments here from Super Android TV does make a lot of sense to me, actually, which is that if you are still running Windows 7 with Windows Media Center, uh, it does support DRM. So if you're kind of stuck right now and unable to get uh, your stuff working with your cable system, if you do install a Windows Media Server installation on a Windows 7 PC, uh, you'll be okay. You can actually get all of this stuff working. Uh, you will need, though, to use uh, Xbox 360s on your individual TVs in order to get uh, that installation extended to other televisions in the house. But at this point, it might not be all that hard to find a working Xbox 360 to do that for you. So this might be a good option if you are uh, waiting for better options if your cable system is DRM protected. He also pointed me to a, a link here called EPG123, uh, which is maintaining the uh, channel guide for Windows Media Center. So even if Microsoft drops support for that, uh, this service will continue it. So there are ways to right now get DRM content, but you are just a little bit limited as to what you can watch it with. Again, you're kind of limited to a Windows Media Extender box, which aren't made anymore, or an Xbox 360. And now it's time for a couple of things that are on my mind, and this is week 45 of me doing this as a full-time occupation. We are closing in on the one-year mark, and maybe I'll do a uh, state of the channel when we hit week 52, so stay tuned for that. Uh, but we, of course, were at CES this week in Las Vegas. It took a, a lot of effort to cover that and get out there. And uh, as a small operation, there were only two of us. It's really hard to compete, of course, with the larger uh, operations out there. But we definitely focused on the things that uh, I thought a lot of viewers of this channel would be interested in, the startups, the little scrappy companies that might have something cool. And uh, I really enjoyed meeting a lot of these companies and the founders behind them while I was out there. So I wanted to talk about a couple of things versus CES. 
uh, because a couple of people emailed me actually concerned that I wasn't getting a lot of views and they were worried that I spent uh, a lot of money to get out to CES and not seeing a big rate of return on the content generated. And of course, that is uh, definitely the case. It is always a money loser every time I go. But uh, this is really the biggest show of the year when it comes to the things that we cover here on the channel. So you have to be seen at this stuff. You got to network. You got to show up to things. And uh, one of the things that I found over the years is that uh, the more you show up to something, the more people recognize you. And that was certainly the case this year. So it was great to catch up with uh, sponsors past and present and perhaps potential ones in the future. It was also great to just meet up with some of the uh, product uh, brands that we cover here just from the editorial side of the business to see what was new and make sure that they know we're still out here so I can get uh, more things in for future uh, reviews and whatnot. And that's really the value of the trip is getting out there and getting in front of folks and uh, having the sponsors that we had, Silicon Dust for the video content and Nokia Health for the social media content. And they had a pretty cool promotion going because they were promoting their new sleep tracking system with a campaign to encourage people not to leave their rooms and go to bed early. They were even handing out these cool little sleep packs at the event. I also want to thank Goldie Chan, who I mentioned a little bit earlier because uh, she came out last year to help me out this year as well. Uh, she's got her own content effort just like I do. She went independent this year and she's on LinkedIn. So definitely follow her over there. She covers a lot of things related to uh, running your own social media kind of business. And she's really got some great content on her channel. Now, the size and scope of CES is pretty crazy. I'm going to pull up the app here that you use to navigate around the show. And uh, what you're seeing here is just the Las Vegas Convention Center. And you should know that most of the time, if there's a convention at the convention center, they're usually in one of these halls and not always taking up the entire hall. Uh, CES not only takes up all of this space, it also takes up all of this space across Las Vegas. And these yellow areas are the uh, official CES hotels. And I'm seeing more and more stuff kind of branching out into other areas where there, are, where there are exhibitors as well. So just to give you an idea of the scope of this thing, the Sands Expo Center is where uh, we covered a lot of the startups in the Eureka Sands area. And this is what took the entire day to cover because we want to go down every one of these aisles and see every one of these companies. We don't spend a lot of time at it for, uh, to be honest with you, we're usually just kind of streaming through the hallway here, but uh, you really have to go through and look at everything because you don't get a lot of information when you click on one of these booths to see what uh, these companies do. So you get a little bit of a description when you drill down on these things, but really I, I found that you just can't uh, start off with a list of things that you want to see because you're going to miss stuff as you're walking around. And I found the best way to cover this show is just to look at everything and uh, stop for the things that uh, do make sense to look at. So this gives you an idea of the scale. Now, this is the lower level of that particular area. Uh, here's the upper level, which we didn't get to. <laughs> so, And this is like the auxiliary location for the show. So this is not even the main event. Again, the main event is over here at the uh, main convention center area. This is South Hall. This is also on two floors. So you can imagine how long this takes. And we did cover uh, both floors of South Hall in a single day. I wish I had another day because I could have gotten over to Central Hall to do a, a brief uh, look at some of the major companies, Intel and some of the major brands are in uh, Central Hall here. And then you have the North Hall as well. And this doesn't look like much when you're seeing it on a map, but it really is quite a bit. And then there's all these little uh, secondary areas here. This is the Westgate Hotel where uh, Silicon Dust was staying. There's a bunch of uh, suites there that you, you can check out. 
And then they added this other area here called the South Plaza, which is filled with companies from China. We didn't get to this one, which is killing me, because there's so much stuff here to look at uh, that might show up on GearBest one day. And this gives you an idea of just the size and scope of this thing. It's just so hard to cover it all uh, while you were there. Uh, over here in the North Plaza was where they were doing all the self-driving uh, demonstrations as well. So this is a huge, huge show. Uh, I think they said something like two and a half million square feet or more of uh, actual convention space for showing off different products there. And you really have to prioritize based on what you can do, uh, which is what we did there. Although it's kind of funny, though, to see The Verge and CNET. They all put together uh, studios that they shoot from, temporary structures. They've got a lot of staff that are there. They throw a big party all the time. Uh, I don't get invited to those parties, which is fine because I don't have time. I have to get back and edit the video for you all to see after we're done shooting. So usually the show ends around 6 uh, we grab a bite to eat, and I go back and uh, start editing, and hopefully that video is up by 9.30 or 10 o'clock, and uh, we uh, hope that the Wi-Fi is working when it does go to, uh, when it does get to be time to upload. In fact, the first night I was there, the Wi-Fi was slowed down to a crawl. I didn't get things up and uh, viewable, viewable to you until about 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. Now, one common theme of the show was the Internet of Things, and this has been a theme over the years, but this is the first year where I'm seeing a lot more integration, and Google and Amazon were kind of competing for all of the attention related to these voice-controlled devices. And I wanted to talk a little bit about this, because just about everywhere I went, there was an IoT device of some kind, a shower head, a toilet, uh, a plug, or some other thing. Uh, and usually what we were seeing, more often than not, was not Apple HomeKit, but uh, Google Assistant and Amazon Alexa. We found that uh, one smart plug that worked with everything, but the price on that one was about 40 or $45 a piece, which was double what we saw for the least expensive smart plug that uh, worked with Alexa and the Google Assistant. And part of the problem is, is that Apple has made it very difficult for companies to be HomeKit certified. They require a, a special kind of security processor to be installed in the device that Apple sells to uh, the manufacturers of these devices, and there's still a huge amount of certifications that they have to go through to get HomeKit certified. And I think what's happening here is that many brands are seeing this really isn't worth it. The consumer is not seeing any real difference. Even though the device might be more secure, uh, there's really no benefit to the consumer insofar as being able to turn a light on or off with one product versus another. And I think this is why uh, we're seeing so much stuff support Alexa and Google and so little things supporting HomeKit. And we're also seeing a number of products that if they do support HomeKit, it's in a separate SKU. Uh, that Yale lock we reviewed a few weeks ago is a great example of that. You can buy the HomeKit one that only works with HomeKit, uh, or you can buy one that works with other uh, home hubs out there and not both at the same time. So uh, that was something of interest, and I wonder what Apple is going to do here because they are falling behind on some of this IoT stuff, especially when it relates to voice control. And there was a lot of news out of CES, but the one thing I've been thinking about the most since I got back was this story I read about Kodak. Uh, making an initial coin offering. And it's kind of funny to see this, you know, century-plus-old brand getting into something really new and different. And the reason why Kodak is looking at getting into cryptocurrency, which is what an ICO announcement is, is because uh, they want to develop a blockchain database for photographers where they can put their images into this blockchain and prove that they own the intellectual property that they are creating. And the advantage of this is that because it's going to be centered around a cryptocurrency, it also makes it very easy for photographers to license out uh, their IP to people that might want to publish it. And it's all 
uh, centrally located in something that uh, will be open essentially to the world and it might be an agreed upon platform. And this is really interesting for a couple of reasons. One is that it's showing a very practical use of blockchain technology, which is what drives most of these cryptocurrencies. It's a common database that uh, many disparate parties can all agree upon. And it's a uh, very difficult database, if not impossible to hack and change uh, the way it works. And on top of that, I think this is really showing that perhaps cryptocurrency and uh, the future of currency might center around particular types of commerce as opposed to perhaps just a coin that exists or perhaps a nation's own uh, currency, for example. And this is a very practical application, too, uh, to help photographers define what they own. And uh, some similar things are out there in the video world, but they aren't really going beyond the platforms that they're on. A great example is the YouTube content ID system. It works exceptionally well. Every video that uh, gets uploaded by major content creators is basically fingerprinted. And if somebody else uploads uh, content that that person owns, YouTube can very quickly notify that content owner that somebody is making use of their content. It's remarkable how well it works. Unfortunately, for some of the smaller creators, sometimes it works too well. Uh, but nonetheless, it's been a very interesting uh, way to make sure that people can protect their intellectual property on the YouTube platform. But the problem is, is that if somebody takes my video and uploads it to Facebook, Facebook's got their own content identification system. There's no agreed upon uh, content ID blockchain, for example, for all video content on the internet. And uh, this is an example of something that would cross platforms. It would uh, be something that would exist out there. I'm sure Kodak will make something from this effort, but uh, they might want to just be controlling the standard moving forward. And this might actually put Kodak uh, back in a place of uh, dominance in the photography industry. I'm really eager to see uh, how this rolls out, how photographers might make use of this. I'm going to follow this one as time goes on because I can see some real benefits for uh, other types of creators as well. And now it's time for some Q&A from you, the viewers. And this first question came in about uh, the equipment that I use to cover my trip to CES. And I've been refining my field pack over the years, and I've got it all down now uh, into pretty much a single backpack. So let's take a look at uh, the bag here. In fact, I haven't yet unpacked the bag uh, since my trip. So let's go through here and see what we got. Now, before I go into the bag, I did uh, have one other bag here. This is a small tripod from uh, Manfrotto that I got. And I, I look at B&H a lot because they have this uh, sale thing that pops up on their uh, website every day. And there's always something cool that gets reduced in price significantly. And this tripod was one of those things. I think I got this for like a hundred bucks. And it's really compact, but it's also very sturdy. I have another tripod that I bought from a B&H sale a couple of years ago that was uh, carbon fiber. It weighed like a pound and a half, but uh, as my cameras have gotten more stuff attached to them, they've gotten heavier and the tripod got very wobbly. Uh, this one's a nice little video tripod here that is also very compact. Now, we didn't use the tripod uh, throughout most of the trip, but when we do the interview with uh, Silicon Dust, for example, it's nice to have a static camera that we can use to uh, keep everything locked down. So let's open up the bag here and see what is inside. We'll start, of course, with the camera, which is what uh, is probably the most important part of the kit. Uh, this is a PXW X70 from Sony. Usually I have the plate a little further back here on the camera, but I just wanted to make sure I could remember the model name. I bought this camera three years ago, and this shows you that if you buy the right thing, you can often get a lot of life out of it. Now, this camera, uh, when I bought it, was only a 1080p camera. But it has since been upgraded. They had a firmware update about a year and a half ago or so to bring it up to 4K. That was a purchase thing. But because I bought it when I did, I got a pretty decent-sized rebate on that 4K update. 
And they recently pushed out a second firmware update that upped the bit rate of that 4K recording from 60 megabits per second to 100 megabits per second. Uh, and they also added face uh, recognition for the 4K shooting mode, which it didn't do uh, before that other update came down. That second update was a free one. So this camera keeps getting better. They just do firmware updates and everything uh, gets improved on it. It has a one-inch sensor. It really is a uh, very nice quality camera from an image standpoint. I think I paid about $2,300 for it when I bought it. Uh, maybe a little bit more for that initial firmware update. And what I like about it, first of all, is that it works very well. The image quality is great. It also has these XLR inputs, which I'll show you uh, in a second for the audio input. And overall, it's just a nice camera that is professional and works. But the cool thing is, is that it uses uh, consumer batteries. So if you have uh, one of these consumer batteries, you are good to go. They're not that expensive. And uh, we're finding just from this kind of work that we do at CES is that this battery lasts all day on this camera, which is remarkable. So it's really been a wonderful addition to the uh, pack here. I haven't reviewed it just because there's so much depth to this camera as a pro-level camera that I just haven't really gotten into yet with it, but I'm very happy with it. My only uh, disappointment with the camera is that its autofocus is very slow. My, I had initially bought this with the intention of it being a studio camera, but uh, the autofocus on it is just too slow for me at this point, but it does work great when you're uh, out in the field and doing that kind of stuff. So that is the main camera. And then for audio, I've got this little pack of stuff here. I use the uh, Sennheiser AVX system, and uh, one of these came in free of charge through the Amazon Vine program, but I bought a second kit. And what Sennheiser's AVX consists of are uh, these little receiver units here that plug right into the input here on the camera. So they just snap right into place here with the XLR connector. If I can get it in while I'm on camera, that would be helpful. They have some adjustability to them as well. Uh, it snaps in like that. You turn it on, and then it pairs up with a mic. And I have uh, both a lavalier mic that I use here in the studio. In fact, my second AVX is always attached to my uh, main audio board here for the TriCaster. I, I can just take it with me when I go on trips. Uh, but what I do when I'm out in the show floor because it's so noisy is I use their stick mic here. And uh, what I did add to it was a cardioid mic that uh, Sennheiser was kind enough to send to the show. And the reason why I go with the cardioid mic is that uh, it is very directional. So it only really picks up audio directly on the top of the mic and kind of just filters out everything around it. The one challenge with this is that I tend to hold the microphone at a different height and then when I get back to edit my audio is all over the place and I have to make some adjustments with it. So it's very, very directional but it's also very good at isolating the sound because everything you saw at CES that I covered was incredibly noisy uh, yet this mic was able to isolate most of it out and uh, what's really nice about the AVX system is there's no configuration, there's no frequencies to set. It basically runs on the old cordless phone frequencies around 800 megahertz I believe. And what it'll do is um, set up a number of different channels. So if it ever encounters interference, it's always uh, got a secondary uh, redundant channel already in operation that it just switches to seamlessly. You never even hear it. And I have yet to have a problem with this system, no matter where I use it. It is just remarkable. Again, you got the choice between the stick mic or the lavalier mic, uh, but you do need a separate receiver uh, for every um, you know, audio device that you want to attach. So I am kind of limited to two mics here with this system, but uh, that's generally all I usually need. Uh, there's a little battery here on the receiver. These last a couple hours, so it's not as long as the battery will on the packs, but they all charge via USB, including the mic batteries. So I have a, a little battery from Anchor that I walk around with just in case I run low on charge. I can just pop those things in via USB and 
uh, get them juiced up again. The nice thing about this, though, is that it's tied into the phantom power coming out of the uh, mic port here. So once we close the camera up, it automatically shuts the mic uh, receiver off, so you're able to preserve battery that way. They thought about a lot of this kind of stuff as um, you know, people encounter those things. I have a second battery in here for the camcorder, and I also have another camcorder here as well. This is a little consumer Sony 4K camera. This is their FDR AX33. I think the guts of this camera are very similar to this one because the images look very close on both, and we use this one just as a fallback in case this camera decides to stop working or uh, we want to do a multi-camera shot like we did with the silicon dust interview. So this is a good little camera to have as a fail-safe. And uh, if worse comes to worse, I can charge the uh, battery here with a USB connection uh, just by plugging this into the camera and the camera into my battery pack. So it's a, it's a camera in addition to a charger, so it works pretty well. Uh, very, very compact. And if I'm ever at a point where we want to send off a third person to go cover a few things, we can send them off with this camera and... Uh, get all that done. What's neat about this camera is that it's got a great stabilizer on it. The stabilizer on this one is good, but uh, this one has an optical stabilizer in addition to its digital stabilization. So it is like rock uh, solid here. Let me put the battery in real quick so you can see what that looks like. So let's power it up here and there we go. Uh, you can see that lens kind of floating around inside the cavity here. So um, it's really good at stabilizing the image while you're uh, shooting handheld. So really good stuff. But again, the stabilization on uh, the main Sony here is also pretty nice. Uh, also in here was another deal that they had at uh, B&H before I left. I had this like really lousy light from Polaroid that was, you know, cheap and bright and got the job done, but it wasn't very well built. Uh, this one I got for, I think, about 70 bucks with the batteries on the back of it here. Uh, very, very bright and seems to be, really worked great throughout the entire trip here. So you can see, whoa, just how bright that, that light gets there. And um, has a varying color temperature, so you can, let me see if I can turn it down a little bit here. You can adjust the uh, overall color temperature of the light here, and uh, Goldie has a producing background, so she was able to uh, find the best uh, way to adjust the light while we were out there. So really good light, a little on the heavier side, so the camera rig does tend to get a little heavy with this thing. It is metal, but uh, extremely well built, and I could not beat the price. And these batteries are really easy to find, so if you ever um, run low on battery, you can just get a couple more of these things, and uh, you're off and running. I think it's based on an old uh, Sony format. So that's the main pocket here. And then in the back pocket, and a couple of other things to show you. So this is my uh, little box of, uh, of SD cards. This case from Pelican that I got a while ago is really, really handy here. So I keep all my SD cards in here. I usually go with the SanDisk cards just because they have really long warranties on them, and I've never really had a problem with SanDisk before. So I've always found just get the best card you can because you don't have more than one chance at recording stuff. And the worst thing I wanted to do was get back to the hotel at night and have nothing. So uh, going with the reliable cards is important. I do tend to buy a few new cards before I head out because I tend to uh, really work these cards hard when I'm out in the field. And I usually go with the newer cards first before I go back to some of my older ones. Uh, this is a card reader, just the usual Kensington thing here. These are great. Uh, they connect via USB 3. I've got a USB 3 to um, USB Type-C cable in the bag there. I have an extra little Samsung T5 hard drive for editing in case my main drive goes down on me. And what I was using on this trip for editing uh, was this one that I reviewed from CalDigit a while ago. They did send this to the channel free of charge. And uh, this is a super rugged drive. It's also a solid-state drive. It's a terabyte SSD. So you can't, you can't destroy this thing. It's really well-suited for uh, traveling out in the field. And it has plenty of space for editing video. Now, what I was doing... Uh, because they got the face recognition working on the camera this year for autofocus, is we were shooting at 4K, and then I was editing at 1080p. And what's nice about doing that, 
uh, is that we can zoom in on parts of the image without it losing its clarity. And that's one of the advantages of uh, shooting in 4K is that you do get a little bit of an ability to cheat. Uh, the downside is, though, it takes a lot of space up on the disk. So I think there's about five or 600 gigabytes of video uh, stored on here based on what we took out of the camera and all the edits that were made. So you really need a lot of disk space for editing uh, those 4K videos. And the other thing in here is a battery that came in free of charge from Anchor a while back. This is just a, a standard USB charging battery, but both of these ports can output up to two amps on this one, which is really helpful for uh, charging my phone and other devices if need be. We didn't use it all that much actually because the battery life out of all of these devices was uh, getting us through the entire day, but just in case I forgot to charge something at night or whatever, I had uh, the battery here as a fail safe. And that's pretty much it. I mean, I have my uh, MacBook Pro in the back pocket here that I use for editing, uh, but really we could fit the entire operation in a single backpack, which is always the goal here. It is just to travel thin and light and just run around that show floor as fast as possible, finding as much as we can. And I was really trying to get at least 10 or uh, 15 minutes or so of content produced for the dispatches every day that we were out there. So it's kind of a mad rush, and you never know what you're going to find. You could end up just walking around aimlessly for a couple of hours before you find a section that has a lot of cool stuff that was uh, worth seeing. But what's neat about this whole setup here is that uh, this hasn't changed really over the last three years. I've really found something that works for me, and uh, this is what I use every time because I know uh, it's going to give me the best possible results for what I want to produce here on the channel. Now, the wrap-up is running a little bit long today, so we'll have more Q&A from all of you next week, but I do have a question for all of you, which you can uh, answer down in the comments section. I'd really like to get your thoughts on the CES coverage. It looks like a lot of you like the dispatches. I saw greater viewership on them this year versus last year, uh, partly due to the fact that we have more subscribers this year, but I'd also just like to uh, keep doing what you want to see at these shows, and I do go to some other stuff throughout the year so I can kind of mimic that uh, format if I have people to help me with the camera. So uh, do let me know down in the comments section what you thought about it. I also like to hear what other channels were doing that you're following that you also thought was pretty effective also. I don't want to copy anybody, but I'm always looking for new ways to uh, look at these big events, and uh, your feedback would be very beneficial on that. And our channel of the week this week is a podcast run by a man named Jason Scott. And if you haven't heard of Jason Scott before, uh, he is a real treasure to the, uh, to the internet at large because what he's been doing over the last 25 or 30 years is archiving all these little bits of bits, basically, digital items, uh, and preserving them for everyone to look at. And he did a great documentary a number of years ago called The BBS Documentary. That's where I first heard about him. He did an a eight-part series. It's about eight or nine hours of content about the pioneers of computer bulletin board systems, which led, of course, to uh, really how we communicate online today. And that is a great series in of itself, but uh, he's also done a lot of other work out there to preserve things that uh, were important from that period of time, including his website, textfiles.com, which preserves all the text files that used to get passed around on uh, different bulletin board systems. He now works at the Internet Archive, where he's doing this as his full-time job. It's his dream job because this was his hobby that he was able to uh, make something out of. And he had a kind of a rough year last year. He had a heart attack, and uh, he was really spending so much time working on his passion that I think he didn't put enough time out for himself, and uh, he kind of fell into a little bit of debt. So he started a podcast, which is excellent. He's a wonderful storyteller, uh, which is tied to a Patreon that he's looking to uh, see if people might want to contribute towards. You don't have to. The podcast is freely available, but uh, he's been doing this as a way to get his uh, life back in order, and he's definitely making a lot of good progress on that. And the podcast itself is just wonderful. He tells stories about 
uh, his childhood and how he used to use technology as a child. And he's about the same age as me, maybe a little bit older. Uh, and it's kind of fun because I just remember the things that I was doing with technology at the same time uh, he was. And it's just a great little listen if you are into some of the stuff that you see behind on the wall here. So Jason Scott talks his way out of it is our channel of the week. So this week on the channel, I've got a couple of things planned as I get back into the swing of things. Uh, the first is I want to look at the Xbox One S and kind of compare it to the NVIDIA Shield as a home theater box. And the reason is, is that uh, the Xbox now is in around the same price point as the NVIDIA Shield is. So I'm going to give you my thoughts on which one I am using the most and how it's all working for me upstairs. You'll recall that we did a, a little unboxing video of the Xbox where I was talking about my plan to use it as a 4K Blu-ray player. So I'll give you my thoughts on that and uh, how it might stack up to my favorite uh, set-top box, the NVIDIA Shield. That'll come up later this week. I also got in uh, this device from Nokia. This is one of their new uh, smartwatches. It's kind of a cool-looking smartwatch, actually. It kind of blends digital with analog, and I will be looking at how well it works at that task. So if you're not looking for you know, something like a screen on your wrist, this might be a little nicer to wear. It's a little bit more attractive, I think, so we'll take a look at that. Uh, they are a sponsor, at least of the social media content that we did from CES, but this is not a sponsored review coming up, and I'll make sure that's clear in the video, so we'll see how that thing works. Also got in a keyboard from Cherry. Uh, this is their silent red keyboard, and it uses a new switch that uh, is a Cherry red switch, those really clicky keys, but they've made it a little bit quieter, so I'm hoping to get to that one a little later in the week. That'll probably be a shorter review. And I'm also still working on this Newton thing. I really want to do a comprehensive review of this. I did find an old Mac upstairs that still works. I'm trying to interface up with the Newton back there. So as soon as I get all these pieces put together, I will uh, do my retro review. It might be a fun little live stream just to try to fiddle around with this thing to see if we can get all that stuff working. Now, if you want to help the channel, you can. You can go to lon.tv support and make a monthly contribution to the channel or a one-time contribution through my donor box page. Uh, we're also still accepting uh, contributions on Patreon. We, are, of course, have our ongoing relationship with Plex. So in addition to that uh, Plex Pass link I had at the outset, if you want to try Plex for free, you can sign up at lon.tv Plex for the free version of it. We'll get a small commission for that. And of course, we've got the Plex gift as an option as well. My other channels are out there, too. You can check out the Extras channel at lon.tv extras for unboxings, uh, short reviews, and other supplementary content. The podcast is at lon.tv podcast for audio versions of this show and other interviews that I do. The Snippets channel, we pull out portions of what I do here as a uh, means of trying to pick up some search traffic. That's at lon.tv snippets. And the archive of my live streams can be found at lon.tv livestreams. And I do suggest you click on that bell icon so that... You get notified every time I do anything on this channel, including going live. So definitely uh, click the bell if you don't mind. And you can engage with the channel in a few different ways. We've got uh, the email list at lon.tv email, which I just sent out an email last week for the first time in a while. The Facebook page is at lon.tv Facebook. And my store is at lon.tv store, where I uh, resell the items that I bought to review and I'm now done with. I put them up on the store and you can get something pretty much brand new at a decent discount, but it's only a one-off because I just have one item that I reviewed that I am then uh, reselling. I just cleared out a whole bunch of stuff, and I'm going to be doing a lot more on there in the coming weeks. So be on the lookout, maybe weeks, maybe not this week, but uh, we will be selling more stuff on the store. And if you want to know when I add stuff, go to lon.tv slash store alert so that you can get an email every time I add something to the store. So that's going to do it for this week's weekly wrap-up. I want to thank you all for your uh, generous support of the channel, both in your time and contributions. It really means a lot. We've had a great year. In fact, last year was my 
uh, best year ever on every measurement. So I want to thank you all for uh, what you have done to help me kind of build my dream out here. It has been a lot of fun to do. And uh, we had a great time at CES. I'm so glad you all enjoyed the dispatches from there. Definitely check them out if you haven't yet to see a lot of cool stuff that you might not see from the other channels. And that's going to do it for now. But we'll be back again later in the week with a whole bunch of new gear and back next week with a weekly wrap-up. This is Lon Seibin. Thanks for watching. This channel is brought to you by the Lon.TV supporters, including Gold Level supporters, the Black Eyed and Blues Music Hour podcast, Chris Allegretta, Steve Blixt, Stanley Taub, and Kalyan Kumar. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. Head over to lon.tv slash support to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv slash s.